0: All right. Hello, everyone. I am joined by Dr. Greg Barroza, Dr. B or horse doc, as he wants to be known. Uh, listen, we had a wild and crazy uh, weekend at Churchill Downs last weekend, and it was it was definitely tainted by uh, the the horse deaths on the track. And I, for one, Dr. Baroza, uh Dr. B, whatever. You, what do you want me to call you? First off, just Greg? Yeah, just call me Doc. I mean, just yeah, call yeah. me Doc. All right. I'll, yeah. I can do that. I, for one, Doc, think that, you know, uh, sometimes horse racing shies away from these things that are an unfortunate part of the sport. I think we all would love to get to a point where we have zero horse fatalities, but we also understand that that's a goal that is not attainable. Um, And then when we have all these horse fatalities, I think it's our job to educate. So we brought on what I think is the expert. Uh, Dr. Barroza has worked on countless big horses, uh, charismatic, swale, uh, even before he was a vet, he was there working on secretariat. So, uh, I'm very excited to have, uh, doc on with us today and, uh, and hopefully we'll all learn something. So you weren't okay. at Churchill downs. No, I wasn't,
1: but I was glued to my TV and I was also at Gulfstream this year where I saw the Florida Derby Pegasus stakes, a lot of the races leading up to it with all the big horses and the big trainers all trying to figure out if they had enough points. Uh, also, um, I was very fortunate because I got an interview with the, the trainers from, uh, mage, uh, the Delgado's and very wonderful people. And I was very happy to see they won, but you're right. I've been at the track since 1971, walking hots for Johnny Campos senior and worked my way up, uh, through the rungs of uh, veterinary school and got to a much higher level than my high school advisor ever thought I'd get, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was an unusual year. It was, uh, where since we're in the industry, we know these things happen quite a bit, but on Derby Day to uh, announce to the world that these kind of problems exist is is embarrassing.
0: All right, well, let's start with the scratch of Forte first off the bat before we get to the desk. So we're gonna we're gonna focus on those two things just because they are veterinarian uh, things. The the vet basically we basically had we had a video on Thursday I think of Forte. Taking a little bit of a stumble in his morning workout, um, then there the rumor started flying. As you can imagine, the rumor started flying of what was going to happen. Uh, we first learned about it maybe Thursday afternoon. Uh, started hearing that there were some rumblings, and then it looked like from the workout Friday that the horse was good to go. Rapoli came out and said he's going to run him, uh, and then the vet came and watched the horse workout on. Uh, Saturday morning, and then the vet for the Horse Racing Commission decided to make the scratch. I want to make sure it's, we're very clear. The Kentucky Horse Racing Commission and Churchill Downs are not one and the same. They're two different entities. The vet made the, deco- the decision to scratch the horse. Um, one of the things I want to ask you, when when they're going through that process, I noticed that they were really judging more of how he – Uh, worked out on the pavement versus how he worked out, how he walked up and down the pavement versus how he walked on the track or how he looked on the track. Is that common practice?
1: Well, we try and look at him at every angle. I mean, some uh, lamenesses or infirmities or problems occur more on a hard surface. Others occur more on a soft surface. So more of your tendon injuries, suspensory injuries, things like that will show up a little bit more on a soft surface, such as the track. And some of the ones that are more orthopedic, like a fracture or a deep bruise, will show up more on a hard surface. So a complete exam, which I'm glad was done, you have to examine the horse in many elements because what you see on the track sometimes is different uh, than what you might see jogging him up and down the pavement.
0: And what kind of leads into the decision for a vet to scratch a horse? um, You know, it looked like they took uh, Todd Pletcher's and Rapoli's um, at least – they were willing to talk to them about it. Um, I think that speaks volumes for, again for those guys as what who they are as horsemen p- personally. But um, what what kind of goes into that decision?
1: Well, decision by who? By the vets? By Pletcher? By Rapoli. It's 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 one huge bag. I, just for the public's sake, uh, horse racing is a very difficult sport, but it's no more difficult than human sport too. Where every athlete comes out. I mean, we looked at Mahon or Mahone. Uh, Play this year, and we know we had infirmaries. We've seen Brady play with infirmities. So the question is is it something they can handle it out on the field, especially for a Super Bowl? You don't want to sideline them. They have no more time to wait, to rest, to do all that stuff. So the question is how do you get them back? And you get them back maybe by putting their arm, their leg, or their foot in a bucket of ice for a while, or sometimes you resort to other modalities. The question is is it fair and equitable in racing? Is it legal? I can tell you this from 45 years on the track that that everyone is concerned about the horse staying sound. So they're all playing whatever advantage they can play. I mean, think about it. Even the weight of jockeys is, is an advantage or disadvantage just in racing in general. But they are all play every advantage they can. They want to win that race, and sometimes it comes down to fractions of seconds. So I can only tell you from my my experience, Rapoli and, and Pletcher are very above-board people. They want to do what's right for the industry. Can you imagine the pressure on them, though? That Forte was the Eclipse Award winner from the previous year. He was horse of the year for that. He he won the two-year-old, not horse of uh, Eclipse Award, but won two-year-old Breeders' Cup Mm -hmm. championship for that. Um, Potentially, potentially what I saw coming into that race, if he held up in the derby like he did in every other race and he won, and that's an if, uh, he could be in line to be the next Triple Crown winner, which he'd be going down in the annals of sports, not only – for the prestige, but for the breeding value down the line. So it's hard for any of us to imagine the millions of dollars of pressure on someone's head to say, no, we have a problem here. Let's address it. I give credit to uh, Doug O'Neill who uh, voluntarily scratched his horse. I'll have another. I was there for that too. And uh, you know, he believed the horse was a little bit sore and uh, Doug had come under scrutiny and the media is continuing under scrutiny. And I think more and more of the real horsemen, and I mean, and I consider Pletcher, O'Neill, people like that are horsemen. They're in the game and they dedicate for their whole life because they love the horses. I do, too. That's why I ended up in this crazy business. But ha- having said that, that typical flinch test where you saw the veterinarian squeeze on the bulbs of the heels of Forte, I could uh, get that on almost or nearly any animal. But I can't judge, just like you can't judge, how much pressure you actually put there. Was it with just a light touch or was it with a heavy touch? And the media is under tremendous scrutiny, too. You've got NBC sports coverage. The whole world is watching this most important race with the biggest horse. The last thing they need is an accident or breakdown. Now, you also have to put in perspective that whole week they'd had breakdown after breakdown. They'd have problem after problem. All they needed was one more of these with the next potential secretariat. So they're all on edge. And there's, a, there's now a third element in racing. We now have the HISA board. We have the um, Horse Racing Integrity Safety Authority. And those people are looking down, they, they come into full focus, I believe, in July. But there's a host of rules that go with it. And all the tracks that have joined to be part of that network to give some common uh, ruling to all the sports activities and racing and all the medication issues and soundness issues, They each of those tracks cooperate. So from my understanding, once, and I don't know that Pletcher and Rapoli knew this at the time, I'd have to think Todd's really sharp, he knew that, but I used to do I also do a lot of standardbred work and what happens is when you scratch a horse when the vet scratches a horse in that arena the owner has to come back and qualify with the horse again. In the thoroughbred world it's different. They decided that 15 days the horse couldn't run, which meant an automatic scratch from the derby would be an automatic scratch from the preakness. I didn't know that till I read the details of of the HISA rules. So there's no way Todd in theory could race unless there's extenuating circumstances so whether they're going to make an extenuating just for Todd Pletcher, he's probably the best trainer out there today, or how they're going to act. And then you were the one that alerted me that now they've they've drawn blood and done medication and, and we'll see where all that pans out, whether there'll be another issue or not another issue. I'm not forecasting there is. I'm not forecasting there isn't. I don't like anyone being judged without having all the facts.
0: Right. Speaking of judging with all the facts and the horse fatalities, let's go on to... Uh, we had seven, seven horse deaths that week at Churchill Downs. Uh, and if we even want to go back and include the, um, uh, the, the horse that was on the derby trail that, uh, that had to be broke down after training. Um, was it fire? How am I? I'm there was, there, there was
1: an eighth horse that was taken well, off the track, but
0: the winner of the died, Sunland
1: Derby. Okay. So you're right. There was seven out of eight horses that were involved in soundness issues that were, uh, that were affected that weekend.
0: So, uh. Going back to that, just that whole week, which is, you know, I've been on Churchill Downs' backside a whole lot. It, it was a very unusual thing for us to experience at Churchill Downs. Um, we had two of those deaths, though, that happened not because of racing injuries. They had happened more. I don't know. There's some. I don't know if it's a heart attack or whatever. It was not from an injury uh, that happened in the same day with the same trainer and. Uh, both Churchill Downs and the horse racing commission made a decision to suspend the common denominator in Safi Joseph, knowing that they would not have um, any kind of answers really at, at least a minimum of uh, 10 days from the incident. So when we go through that, is it, is it even plausible for us to get answers of what happened from the, uh, from those horses that, that passed away?
1: Well, the bottom line answer is, uh, uh, it's improbable. We will get an answer, but is it possible? Yes. Uh, I was there for the postmortem of swell. Uh, actually I had a pretty interesting role in determining that there was some issue with the heart based upon some scar tissue. I saw in the heart. Uh, that call was finally made by Helen Ackland, and new Bolton center, lead pathologist in the country. Uh, but there was nothing else that showed up on that horse. And he had won the Belmont uh, a few days before and he was just going out for routine gallop. But having said that it, made me think a lot about what's going on with these um, sudden deaths. And we see them even in human athletics all of a sudden. Uh, we saw that one with the Bengals Bills this past year. It wasn't a sudden death. Luckily, yep. luckily um, the athlete uh, did well in the long run, but they had immediate medical care. A horse is a different uh, subject, different animal. So we, we never know. But these passing outs on the track or whatever it's called, they can be instigated just by uh, an electrolyte imbalance, uh, too much potassium, something like this. So it could be uh, hydration, dehydration, fluids, not fluids, and it could be medications. Let's not kid ourselves. That is in the in the formula. But to determine it is tough. And most people are pretty shrewd about complying with that absolute number of medi- within the medication law that they can get by that should just um, be acceptable on all playing fields, should I say. So... Whether we'll get an answer or not, I think there's there's pathologists, and I think they would tell you that we get the answer maybe 40% of the time. I'm making up that number off the top of my head because we don't examine all the ones that maybe happened in the past, so we really don't know. But could it be medication? Yes. Am I here to say it was? No. Do I suspect it? I, I hope not. Let's just put it that way. Could it be an electrolyte imbalance? It could be. It could be any number of things. And the other part that we can get into this a little bit more, which also ties into the breakdown issue, uh, which are orthopedic injuries, which are more commonly seen, not just the horse exercising and dying, but there's the bleeding rules and regulations and the medication for it and all sorts of things that crop in here that we're trying, the, the trainers are really trying to do the best they can. I think the potential fatalities in the thoroughbred racing industry, you might have a number better than me, but it's something like less than 1% now. It used to be higher, but everyone's paying attention, but The opportunity to find a problem is incredibly minute. And so I'll introduce here that I have a good friend who mentioned this several times. There's ways of doing blood tests in advance of the races and and things called the health passport, which we could do. The problem with that is a tremendous expense to do that every horse that ever races. Maybe we could start with some of these graded stakes races that are under uh, most scrutiny. Also, if you want me to keep going, the other the other two factors is these these horses currently are falling under the greatest um, competition they've ever had uh, because to get into the Derby, you now have to have a number of points. So these races are more competitive than ever. The best are going against the the best just to measure up to that. I think it's an extremely uh, important way to say we're getting only the best of the best. Someone just didn't get in because they won one big race and they had a pot. Before that, uh, it went by purses. So a horse could win a big race and then be off for four weeks, six weeks, go to a light, lighter race just to stay in shape and then race again. So many of these horses are racing over and over and over again. So that could be a factor because the stress of racing, think about it like a, a boxer or a UFC guy. I mean, you can't do it every week. It, it, you need some downtime to heal and recuperate, even if you don't get beat up too badly. So that's another factor. And then the other f- third factor that I think is extremely important is the racetrack. Now, I'm not here to blame Churchill Downs because I think their track's about as safe as any track in the country. Most of the tracks today are safe. But what I will tell you is that each one of the tracks has a slightly different racing surface. Yep, They're not identical. We, I learned that. I wrote an article about the breakdowns. I called it the perfect storm in Aqueduct. We're having a run of breakdowns. There was nothing wrong with the Aqueduct racetrack. What was wrong was we had a mild winter in New York. That was the key factor. There was about five things, but we had a mild winter in New York. And on a certain date, they declare, all winter racing goes to the winter track, which is Aqueduct, which they did. But that track was built with a lot of sand deep and a hard base, believing there was going to be freezing in the just before they hit base. Well, there was no freezing, and the horse was going fatigued right through the sand and, and smacking the base, and they were coming up. And I have to give credit to a number of really sharp trainers that have been around a long time that keep me into this being a major problem because everyone's running around trying to figure it out. Well, the same thing here. I'm not trying to criticize any one track, but I know from the veterinary perspective that bone takes time to remodel, you know, it takes time to heal. Well, they're remodels too. And that's why these two year olds, they're not really fully mature yet. And their bones remodeling, same thing for soft tissue, the tendons of this, you know, the, the suspensories, et cetera, check ligaments, if they're to get bigger and stronger, just like muscles, it, it, it's over time. You can't stress them to the breaking point. You build up. Anyone who works out knows you build up, but you don't break yourself down. And then you give you time off, and then and then you build up. And the same thing here. But some of these horses shipped all over the country just to build up points. They raced on different tracks, different surfaces. This will not be a simple problem to solve, and there'll be all sorts of theories. But I will throw in the mix that the various tracks, the amount of competition of that day um and all the previous races a number of competitions the best going against the best before they meet in a triple crown series um that should be keyed into this
0: so when you say the best of the best going against each other you think that adds more stress to the bone or stress to the uh to the orthopedic that could cause orthopedic injuries to the horse
1: well let's face it they're going faster and harder than ever before i mean no one's broke Secretariat's record, but, you know, and, and I don't and, know if
0: we will with the point system, honestly, I don't I don't, I don't, know if we'll have someone set the pace that we need early on in a race. Although the last couple of derbies, there's been a quick pace, uh, the, those first half and first quarters, but, uh, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I can, I can relate to the standard bread industry too, that, um, in the early days, the standard breads all race on one mile. That's it. It's time. And I remember when, you know, no one would break a two minute mile and now it's down to one forties. Um, and what they used to do unbeknownst to the public is they would put rollers out on a racetrack and and press that track down to get the fastest time to say that the uh, 19-whatever Hamiltonian in this particular track was run at the fastest time anyone's run, and we had the horse here to prove it. But there were too many injuries popping up, and I think now everyone, and I mean everyone, is concerned more about the safety than they are about the time. But as far as the Secretariat record, most people forget the second fastest horse in the history of the derby
0: yeah.
1: because no one pays attention to who came in second sham and that was sham and sham broke down theoretically in the final race in the in the belmont uh he broke something in the rear leg i think it was a sesamoid in his rear fetlock or something like that but i know that you know i i know the uh i did some work for Pancho martin and i know carlos martin very well and they're all they all assured me that he broke down. That's why he got pulled up. He didn't even, he came in last. So, no one wants to be last. They want to be first, second, third, fourth to get points.
0: And end the money for a reason, right?
1: Yeah. So, I'm, listen, I'm not a genius. I mean, I tell you, my high school guidance counselor told me to pick a different career, but I did okay. And um, the, the reality is, common sense dictates that these horses are running harder and faster and sometimes traveling to a different track in a different state just to pick up another five or 10 points so they could be in the Derby.
0: So the last time, so that brings up an interesting, and I wasn't actually plan on asking you this. So, so mage wins without racing as a two-year-old, right? Uh, the last time we saw that was Justify. Justify got through the three triple crown races, one, all three, but then that was it. I mean, got suffered his, uh, injury still with us. You know, the, the horsemen uh, did what they got to do to keep him around. They, they retired him. Um, does that make it almost like if you're mage and you run in all three of these triple crown races, if you win the Preakness, I mean, what's the likelihood we even see that horse get to the Travers or to the Breeders' Cup? I mean, it's, it's a lot, right?
1: It certainly is. You know, I, I, I was fortunate. I interviewed the Delgados and wonderful people, and I was so happy for them and congratulated them. And I'm happy to see they're entering the Preakness. But if you notice the same things happening to them that happened to Forte, they were a little nervous. They didn't want to race in the Florida Derby at the time I interviewed them. They weren't sure. Some of the people said, well, should we, shouldn't we, et cetera. You know, everyone to go, didn't want to go against the giant killer there. You know, Alan Jerkins, those days, he, he if he felt the horse was a little bit uh, vulnerable and he had a good horse, he raced the horse back. People forget Onion. He was only, I think it was Onion or it was Out. One of those two. I think it was Out. maybe. He raced the horse back only after, after uh, six days running. He just said, I got this young horse in the barn that just, he came back, he eats up, he looks great. Let's get him back out there. And he beat Secretariat. But um I'm glad that I'm glad that the Delgados raced Mage in the Derby. They were considering shipping cross-country. Might have been a different Derby this year if they had done that. Things happen when you ship. Yep. And and also things happen tying that into I some people, and I was one of them used to believe you go to the track early for a few weeks and you train your horse on that track. To get used to the track but maybe if it's a different track conditions maybe you're slowly creating some damage there thinking the horse got familiar with the track but he's doing new things to remodel his bone years ago i remember representing a relative i had a horse training at the moran place um in pennsylvania on five bar and i brought a trainer out with me rich Naminsky looked at the horse and i said what do you think he said he said doc if we had the horse in this afternoon at belmont it would have won just about any race he said, get me the horse to the track. And it took two weeks. So the horse qualified to get on the track. And within those two weeks, he bucked his shins. Bone remodeling.
0: Yeah. Interesting. What, yeah. what about um, what about the breeding? Do you feel that that has led anything to brittle bones, as, uh, the the breeding industry with the horses at all? The incestual yeah. side of it, I guess.
1: You know, honestly, I don't know. If I knew, I would. I would tell you my instinct that it might have something to do with it. Uh, there's a lot of people that blame all sorts of things on the breeding. It may be the only thing I can tell you, which to some degree is sort of a problem in thoroughbred. Again, it's been a problem in standard breed. They're trying to outbreed now to Europe and bring in other bloodlines. We're down to the horses that bring the most dollars at a sale or all the tappets and all, all the um, other horses that are, have, I remember when Northern Dancer it goes yeah. back many years. I remember Northern Dancer in his later years, he couldn't breed too well. He only bred a few mares, and they may not take or they may take. And there was people that were paying one and a half million dollars for breeding with no security, meaning if they don't take, they don't take. We, but we'll give it a good breeding. And um, we don't see that today. But but your question is a good question. I don't know that there's anyone there that could really answer it. I think that um, you would hope to believe that if a horse is unsound, you don't want to breed him. If he's sound, you want to breed him. But I've seen horses, and you know them, the horses that have one that have done nothing substantial to track. I mean, they had good bloodlines and they didn't do anything substantial. They broke down and they turned around. They become super stallions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what my wife calls me.
1: <laughs> good for you. That sounds like a good marriage.
0: <laughs> uh, so uh, one last thing. Uh, and again, this is probably getting real back to the basics, but then I want to make sure we are respectful of everyone's time and, and we get you going. Explain to the casual person. Why? If a horse. Uh, has a lower limb injury, why they have to normally be put down?
1: Well, I can sum it up with basically two, two basic procedures. One, first of all, unfortunately, is a horse worth the value to try and make valiant efforts to try to do this? I mean, they tried with Barbara. Actually, one of my colleagues from New Bolton Center, uh, Dean Richardson, was a guy who got assigned the case, and and uh, he worked valiantly and did everything he could. They have a swim pool recovery center there. They've got everything set up to do it the right way, and they couldn't save him. So that's, that, that's one example. Um, secret, the great secretary was put down for leg infirmities, laminitis later in his life that that even the best veterinarians I I knew one of about five superstars that were brought in, everyone had a slightly different opinion. I know Lauren Evans from new Bolton. And he said, you know, he gave his two cents on it, but no one could stop the laminitis, but there was no such thing as a three legged horse that could do anything. Uh, although, although I did, um, I did see a three-legged horse. had a Lucian born uh, one year that Dr. Kiefer worked on that saved that uh, that horse uh, for a period of time until it colic, and he put a prosthetic on it, but that's a rare, rare occurrence. So you have to have a horse worth of value. It's not humane to put them through all the stuff that it would take to put them through. Can they be saved? Well, an effort can be given, but what people don't realize is very little muscle in the lower leg. It's all bone and tendon and things like this, but the muscle brings blood supply and helps in healing. So some of the muscle portions of the body, like if they rip in the starting gate and you have to sew up a muscle, it'll heal. But when you start getting the lower leg where the uh, where the circulation could be cut off, that is a major problem. So we'll never solve that 100%. There's improvements, but it can be devastating. And I think for if a horse runs and they keep running, um, I'm blanking on the horse now for, for Billy Badgett years ago at Belmont, they kept running and running and running. And the same thing happened with Ruffian. He kept running and running, and he just pulverized the legs so there was nothing left to really to save. So if the damage is too great, the main thing is to put them down. If they're of tremendous value and it's worth that kind of an effort, you try to save them, even if it's just for humanitarian purposes. But the people going in that own the horse and train the horse say, we know we're signing up for a difficult uh, battle here. But can it be done? There's a lot of things could be done, and hopefully there's some advances in the future too. So. The best thing is prevention, and that's what we're working on hopefully today, and hopefully the message we're going to get from all these drug issues and breakdowns through this HISA board, through the uh, Kentucky Horseman's, through Churchill, through the cooperation, is what's the best thing we can do? And I'm going to tell you that I think prevention is the key. We have that now. I was the first guy in the uh, East Coast privately to put a nuclear scintigraphy for horses. We could find stress fractures before they were even obvious to a to a radiograph. This is what we have to be concentrating on to prevent these from even happening.
0: I love it. Let's get on the good side of the problem. Let's, let's prevent and and try to minimize that number. But we, we know it will never be zero, but the more we can get that uh, close to zero, the better. So, Doc, really appreciate you. How can people find more about you? And uh and read all the good stuff that you put out there and, and
1: well they, they, they can go to then go to my website. Uh, uh don't no, it's not you have it horse dock.com is dot com. That's the oh website. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's ww.was dot com. I thought I saw that earlier in there and you might have changed it or changed or something. No but I, that's all right. Yeah. But, but anyway, that's the website, and you'll see that I, I have a bunch of YouTubes there uh, under Talking Horses. I, that's it. And I do Talking Horses, and uh, I have interviews with Safi. I have interviews with the Delgados. I have interviews with a bunch of these people and even have uh, Baffert winning the Travers, and I have a bunch of things like that people will enjoy. If they got any questions, please send them to me, and I'm glad to contribute with you guys. If you ever need me for any other opinions, again, uh, I'll try and do it as politically uh, correct as possible and get it done.
0: No, we're going we're gonna to have a whole lot more collaboration with you. So I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, Doc, I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, bye.